Hear now the word of the Lord. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, Levi rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and a large company of tax collectors and others were reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Good morning, everyone. I'm Len, one of the elders, and currently I guess I'm the interim pastor of care at East Campus. We're searching for uh, a new pastor for East Campus, uh, but uh, pray for that. The searching is slow at this time of year, okay? Uh, But welcome this morning. It's great to see every one of you. We've sung and heard already some great, great truths about Jesus, so I think we can just go home now. I don't need to preach, okay? But I guess I will, we'll continue. But great to see you all, and we pray that the love of God will be apparent among us this morning, and that you will experience the love of Christ, and you will know how deeply you are loved by them, but also by us. We're a family, okay? And if you're new, welcome to the family, all right? 
So turn your Bibles, please, to, again, back to what Ethan just read. Thank you for reading that, by the way. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 32. If you need a Bible, there should be one on, on underneath the chair close by. We're in a long journey through the Gospel of Luke. Today's our ninth study in this Gospel. And we're just beginning. <laughs> but uh, we pray that we will get from this what Luke wants us to. The certainty, a certain foundation of our Christian life, which is Jesus, the Messiah, our Lord and Savior. So if God is for us, who can stand against us? Let's go to the throne of grace right now and pray, okay? Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for our sins. We love you because you first loved us. Thank you for the Bible, which tells us all we need to know to live with you. Open our eyes to see wonders in your extraordinary word written in a very mundane-looking book. Especially, Father, show us the wonders of Jesus. Deepen our understanding of your truth so that as our understanding goes deeper, we pray our worship of you will go higher. Father, guide my words that everything I say will be your truth. And again, we pray that we will behold your extraordinary Son through your word. Amen. I think I told you about my, my short-lived ninth grade high school football uh, experience. I think it would make a great comedy movie. The, mo the title would be Mr. Magoo Plays Football. Okay. Because, you know, the problem was I wanted to be an end. I'd love to catch the football, but I was afraid I'd break my glasses, so I didn't wear my glasses. I couldn't see the football, because I'm as blind as a bat without my glasses. So it doesn't work very well, and it didn't last very long. But, uh, you know, so, yeah, it's, as blind as I am without my glasses, we're also blind all of us, when it comes to seeing extraordinary things all around us. Things like a lizard who shoots blood out of his eye to ward off predators. Now, I hope you had your breakfast already, and, and okay. And then there's the blue whale. Did you know that the tongue of a, of a, sure, a big blue whale can grow as large and, and as heavy as an elephant? Whoa. Now, if I had a tongue that big, I probably wouldn't be speaking much of it. If I had a tongue that big and had a thought on the tip of it, I'd never find it. So, and then there's rain. Rain is a very mundane thing that is truly extraordinary. Just think about what rain does and how it happens. Picture yourself as a farmer in the Middle East where if you're going to have food for the family, the crops need to grow, and you need rain, and there's no, there's no stream around, you need rain all the time. Well, where that rain's going to, where's it going to come from? Well, maybe 100 miles from the Mediterranean Sea. Well, how much is that rain going to weigh? Well, if, 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 if one inch of rain falls on one square mile of uh, territory... 
That would be 200 million gallons of water. That's 1.5 billion pounds of water. That's roughly 33,000 minivans or 11,000 school buses, all falling in one square mile of farmland. Now that's heavy, isn't it? <laughs> okay. So how does, it, how, does, how does that all happen? Well, the water evaporates, that's how it goes up, and then it gets carried by the air, and then it condenses and it falls. But of course it can't fall, you can't, you can't dump a billion pounds of water on, on uh, some ground, so it dribbles it down. And, and, the, and the drops have to be big enough so that they can fall a mile without evaporating, and yet small enough that they won't crush the wheat. What an amazing thing God did with just something as simple and mundane that we think is rain. But I, I think the most extraordinary things are in the spiritual realm. Well, obviously, God himself is the most extraordinary of all. And then there's the transformation of people. What an amazing thing that is. But most of all, there's the extraordinary son of man and son of God. Jesus, God in human flesh. But we have a problem of, of forgetting or not realizing how truly extraordinary Jesus is. With the result that we can get bored with him. Bored in doing the Christian life. It all seems so mundane at times. We can even stop trusting him. And so often we need a recharge. We need a fresh reminder of who Jesus is. And Luke gives that to us this morning. We're going to see two events that, that should delight and astound us with how extraordinary Jesus is. And this should motivate us to become whole disciples. So let's set the context. Luke is writing so that the life and teachings of Jesus will give certain, a certain foundation for faith. He answers the question of why a man should become the object, object of our faith and hope and worship. He answers why we should follow him and become whole disciples. In, in this section, Luke presents a number of scenes that, readers, that cause readers to grow in their understanding and amazement of who Jesus is in his authority and power. Uh, we all know, you know we, we've read, we've, we've been studying the New Testament for years, we know the authority of Jesus. That he's, he's the authority over all things, including creation, the universe, and the church. But it all started with a baby back there in Bethlehem. And Luke is, what Luke is doing, is we have, Luke, we have this, in Luke we have this extraordinary authority and power being revealed step by step as people struggle to grasp it. Luke revealed in the past few stories that, that through Jesus, demons are gone, diseases are cured, lepers are cleansed, lives are restored, Lives are redirected. And in today's story, we're going to, stories, we're going to see that Jesus does some new, extraordinary, and surprising things. So the big idea of, of my sermon is this. Marveling at the extraordinary Jesus should motivate us to become whole disciples. So marveling at the extraordinary Jesus should motivate us to become whole disciples. There's two basic points. Number one is, the basic outline is, the extraordinary Jesus forgives sinners. The second, 
major point is the extraordinary Jesus seeks the worst sinners. So the extraordinary Jesus forgives sin, and the extraordinary Jesus seeks the worst sinners. So let's get started. So first, the first part, the extraordinary Jesus forgives sin. So let's set the scene. In verses 17 and 19, Luke writes, on one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. So the scene is, first of all, the Pharisees and teachers come to check out Jesus. Who are these religious leaders? Well, the Pharisees, in one sense, are much like us. They were the Bible believers of their day. They weren't all villains. Many were very sincere in trying to follow God through obeying his Old Testament law. But their commendable desire to be separate from sin led them to add all kinds of rules to the law and to, and to commit to not only separating from sin, but separating from every sinner. Their desire led them into a harsh legalism and much hypocrisy. And then there's the teachers of the law. They were usually Pharisees and they were the university professor of the Old Testament in their day. They were the experts in interpreting the law. So they've heard, they've been hearing about the teachings and miracles of this new rabbi. And when Jesus healed that leper and sent him to the priest in the temple, he in essence was sending them his business card. Someone special is here. So they come from all over Israel to check him out. Not just a few, but a crowd of Pharisees and teachers along with other people. And what were they thinking as they listened to Jesus and then they heard this roof being dismantled above them and then the dust came showering down on their clean robes? So the Pharisees are there, but also the power of the Spirit was there. Luke is indicating that something good, something unique is going to happen by the power of God's Spirit. He again indicates that Jesus is trusting in his Father's plan and the Spirit's power to do his Father's will. So the Pharisees, or the religious leaders there, and the Holy Spirit's there, and then we have the paralytic and his friends. Now, this paralytic lived under a stigma. After all, he must have sinned greatly to be paralyzed. Isn't that true? That's what they thought. But he had some great friends, and these friends responded to their paralyzed friends with compassion and action, and decided to carry their friend to Jesus. I wonder how far they traveled. How far did they carry him? When did they leave? But when they arrived, their hearts must have sunk because, because of the large crowd. There was no way they could get to Jesus. But they were determined, weren't they? They carried their friend up the stairs in the courtyard or on the outside wall of the house to the roof. And then they dismantled the roof and using ropes, they lowered their friend's bed to the floor in front of Jesus. And their backs and arms and legs ached under the strain. They were seriously hoping Jesus was going to do something because they were in no shape to pull their friend back up through the hole, okay? What a beautiful picture of love, right? 
Are we willing to love others enough that we'll tear the roof down for them? We need that kind of love, don't we? So the last player in the scene is Jesus. What will he do? He's, he's preaching away. He's teaching important things. But then his teaching is interrupted by a commotion. He hears scraping and moving of tiles and a hole appears in the ceiling. And, and then through the dust, he sees, he sees some men peering down, sweaty, hopeful faces. And then a bed with a man on it comes down through the hole and lands right in front of him. And Jesus said, how dare you interrupt my sermon? Now, that's what I would have said, probably. But not Jesus. Jesus had a surprising, unexpected answer, didn't he? His answer in, in verses 21 and verses 20, we'll look at 21 also. And, and when he saw their faith, he, as Jesus said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemy? Who can, who can forgive sins but God alone? So his answer was surprising. Your sins are forgiven. Why did he say that rather than just heal the guy? Luke doesn't tell us, okay? But perhaps Jesus simply chose to use this event as a teaching moment to, to pull the blanket off a little further to reveal a little more about who he is. But when he said that, the listeners were shocked, weren't they? Everyone was surprised by what Jesus said. What do you think the paralytic thought? Was he in despair that he might not be cured? Or was he rejoicing because he recognized his guilt and now he's free? I don't know. And then their friends are on the roof. They're up there saying, no, no, you got to heal him. You got to heal him. We don't want to carry him back all the way to his home. And the Pharisees are bewildered. Confused, angry, maybe. And they're thinking, what did he say? Did you hear what he said? Did he, a man, pronounce forgiveness of sins? And they thought, no, that's blasphemy. And the law agreed, no man had the authority to forgive sins. Only God could actually forgive sins. And Jesus' response, he brings some supporting proof to the fact that he can do what he just said. In verse 22, Luke writes, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your eye, in your hearts? What is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? Now, Jesus pr presents a conundrum, a riddle. What's easier, forgive or heal? Well, as far as just saying the words is concerned, it's obviously easier just to say your sins are forgiven because there's no evidence to disprove that. And you don't need, to, in one sense, to show any evidence for that. But on the other hand, if Jesus possessed ultimate authority over all things, he could make either statement equally easy. So therefore, to offer visual proof to those present that he had the authority to both forgive as well as heal, he did what they considered was most difficult. He healed the paralysis. Well, in verse 24, we see the real point of Luke's story here, of Jesus. 
where Jesus said in verse 24, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That you may know that the Son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's not new for us, but man, for them, it was radical. It was amazing. But is it true? Is he a blasphemer? Or God's extraordinary son of man who can forgive sins? And they'll soon find out. Can you feel the tension? What was at stake? Imagine if Jesus had failed in the healing. His ministry would have been shattered. The crowd would slowly make their way out of the house. The scribes would increase the charge of blasphemy. Before men who struggled to carry their friend home, they'd be more dejected and more embarrassed than ever. And the homeowner, who looked up at his roof, would think it was all for nothing. <laughs> but then Luke presents the proof. We read that Jesus healed the man who immediately rose and took to his feet and walked out of the house, praising God and carrying the bed that he had been lying on for so long. Can you imagine what the ex-paralytic was and his friends were thinking? What was the crowd, many of whom were scribes and Pharisees, thinking? Oh, we see the answer in, in, in the response that Luke, Luke shares in verse 26. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we've seen extraordinary things today. Luke says they were amazed, astonished, bewildered, fearful, full of awe. What they saw was unexpected. What they saw was extraordinary. And today, as we read Luke's testimonies, like those witnesses long ago, we witness Jesus do something extraordinary because he himself is extraordinary. Does Jesus cause that same response in us as we read about him? Are we ever amazed, bewildered, and astonished or surprised by him? That's something that we should pray for. So what Luke is driving at here is the, is the extraordinary nature of Jesus. Here was a man who could forgive sins. This, again, was radical. What a surprise. This sweaty, smelly, dirty man born in a stable could forgive sins. Something only God could do. Just think if Jesus had just, just healed the paralytic's legs and, and not his sin. And the man could go happily through the rest of his life on two good legs and straight into hell. But instead, thanks to Jesus, when he stood up and walked out of that house, he was carrying something far greater than an old bed. He was carrying a clean heart. What a beautiful picture of sins forgiven that led to a new life. And that's happened to each one of us who have come to Jesus for forgiveness. Now, some of, some of us here may still be paralyzed by the guilt of past sin. And this guilt is holding us back from experiencing deeply our new life in Christ. I've experienced that at times. And to this day, there are some sins from my past that crawl back into my mind. And when they do, I often cry out silently, Oh, Father, that was so bad. But then I remember my extraordinary Savior. He has removed that sin and his guilt and then I sigh with relief. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. 
Are you paralyzed with the guilt of sin? Jesus is a healer of such, of such spiritual paralysis. Through Jesus, you can find true forgiveness of your sin and the removal of all that guilt. And that's a wonderful thing to experience. Have you ever started driving your car down the road but noticed something was, wasn't right? It seemed like you, you have to add more power than normal to get the car to go. It feels like something's holding the car back. And then you look at the instrument panel and you see this little red light saying, emergency brake. You release the brake and the car leaps forward. That's what guilt can do in your walk with Jesus. It acts like a brake. Remembering that our sin and guilt have been removed by Jesus can take the brake off of our walk with him. Take the brake off. Let Jesus forgive and remove that guilt. But, but there's more to this extraordinary Jesus. There's more that he does. In Luke's next scene, he answers the question, how far will Jesus' forgiveness go? He healed the paralytic, but how far will it go? So in part two, we see the extraordinary Jesus seeks the worst sinners. What we'll see here is an extraordinary call and an erroneous criticism and an evangelical, evangelistic reason, I should say. So first, Jesus gave an extraordinary call. Luke begins the second story in, in verse 27. He says this, After this, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And, and leaving everything, he, that is Levi, rose and followed him, that is Jesus. Capernaum was a good site for a tax booth. It was on the road between Galilee and all the way up to Damascus. So here's Levi at his tax booth collecting taxes. He's open for business. And Jesus observes him, and then Jesus called him, and, it, it, and Luke pictures it as a very authoritative call. All Jesus said was, follow me. Much like what he said to Peter and the fishermen. And just as he commanded the paralytic to rise and walk, so Jesus commanded Levi to rise and follow him. And Levi did it. But there's something unusual about this call. It was an extraordinary call because it was an unusual choice of people, wasn't it? Levi was not the man we would have picked for our team. For he was a tax collector, and in that day, tax collectors were despised as traitors. They worked for the Roman government to collect taxes and were rightly regarded as extortioners because they overcharged the taxes to pad their own income. They were the most visible Jewish traitors in their culture. Levi was regarded as an outcast in his society. And he was probably excommunicated from the synagogue. He probably didn't care. But if Jesus had a PR man or human resources man... That, that person would come up and put his arm around Jesus and say something like, Jesus, baby, this is not how you win friends and influence people. You need to get somebody who's impressive, who the people will see is impressive. But in his extraordinary grace, Jesus sought out, out a man no one else wanted. 
but the one others wished God would judge. That's the person Jesus called. That's part of the extraordinary glory of Jesus. So what were the, the, response of the response of the religious leaders? It was an erroneous criticism, wasn't it? In verses 29 and 30, Luke writes, And Levi made him, that Jesus, a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others inclined or reclined at table with them. And the Pharisees and, and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So Levi, Levi in his joy and excitement threw an evangelistic party with Jesus as the guest of honor. And he invited a bunch of his friends for a good time and to hear his testimony and to meet the extraordinary Jesus. Wouldn't evangelism be so much easier if, if we could just invite our non-Christian friends to a party and Jesus shows up? Oh, that would be so great. But wait, we can actually do that, can't we, in one sense? We can invite our friends to meet Jesus at a party. But how? Well, we're supposed to be the body of Christ. We're supposed to be like Christ to other people. But the law-abiding Pharisees had a problem with this party thing. See, the Pharisees had an issue with separation. That's kind of what their name means. They were committed to, to remaining separate from anything or anyone who could make them unclean. Therefore, they separated from everything that was sin and every person who was a sinner. And they, and they felt that any self-respecting rabbi and his disciples would agree with them. But you know, at times, we, we are just like the Pharisees, aren't we? We separate from others for things that shouldn't separate us. Let's pray that we become more like the extraordinary Jesus and offer his gracious acceptance to, toward one another and to everyone who comes to the doors and to the people we meet. So Jesus responds to their, their criticism with an evangelical or evangelistic reason. Jesus is, a, is the doctor for sinners. And Jesus answered them saying, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So he begins with a picture, a doctor and his patients. Who needs a doctor? The well or the sick? Those who think they are well don't think they need one. But those who know they are sick do. They know they need one. And a good, good doctor wants to treat the sick. It would be crazy for a doctor to have a sign on his door, we treat only the well. If you're sick, go somewhere else. That's kind of what the Pharisees are saying. But, but then he, he gets the point, and the point in verse 32, who, who needs Dr. Jesus, the saint or the sinner? Well, obviously the sinner does. And like a good doctor, Jesus pursues the sick, the sinners, to heal them. In, this, in this, these words, he's not claiming that the Pharisees are righteous, but he's just indicating that they wrongly perceive that they are righteous and don't need a doctor. So the doctor is, this doctor is in 24-7 every day of the year, all night long. But for a person to benefit from Dr. Jesus, his healing power, they must recognize that they need him, that there's something wrong 
that they need forgiveness. Well, let's apply. There's, there's, there's much good things in here, but here's a one big one. Never underestimate God's willingness to use a sinner. Never underestimate God's willingness to use a sinner. Because we're all like Levi. We all have thought things, said things, or done things that put us in his camp. And like Levi, we could wake up every morning or any morning and think, oh man, God can't use me. I didn't have a quiet time, <laughs> or whatever it is, okay? We think that God can't use us. But thank God that in his forgiveness, it's complete. And his call to discipleship is extended to all who turn to him. So do you think you're irretrievable? That God can't use you? Remember that Dr. Jesus has perfect credentials as a doctor to make you well. He's 100% accurate in his diagnoses. He's 100% perfect in his cures. And he even pays the bills. How many doctors do that? But again, to experience that and then to be used, we have to come to that doctor and recognize that we're sick and we need a savior one who could transform us into the image of Jesus. And, and, and the good news for us is also that Jesus not only heals, he wants to use us. He wants to use all of us. And that's what we're, we're about at Parkview. Not only we want our, our church to be not only a place where one can find healing, but a place where one can be restored to serve Jesus. I'll close with these thoughts. We began our examination of these stories by talking about extraordinary things. And then we examined two stories, paralytic and a tax collector, that surprise us and remind us how extraordinary Jesus really is. Jesus not only forgives sins, but he will call the worst sinner to follow him. And note how extraordinary, how surprising Jesus is in both stories. Forgiving was a complete surprise. Calling a tax collector was a surprise. And today he's still this surprising, extraordinary Jesus who can work surprising things in our lives. But here's a question. Have we put Jesus in a box so that he no longer is this surprising, extraordinary Jesus? Have we turned him into a tame lion? Some of the boxes that we put him in are these. Here's four of them. There's the church box. It's so easy to limit our relationship with Jesus to just Sunday morning. Then there's the crisis box, when we only turn to him when our lives are falling apart. The third one is the convenience box. It's so hard for us to... What's wrong? Okay, the convenience box is when life crowds in, and we just get to Jesus when it works for us, when it's convenient. But then there's the last one is the conceivable box, and that fits with these two passages. It's hard for us to comprehend that the fact that Jesus is so extraordinary that he is beyond our human comprehension. One of the most dangerous things we can do is to presume that we know what he can do and what he does do, or what he will do, as Luke showed us in today's passages. So let's pray that we individually and corporately 
get a better understanding of the surprising, extraordinary Jesus, who not only forgives sins, but is willing to invite the worst sinner to his team. And then marveling at this extraordinary Jesus should motivate us to become whole disciples. Now, one way to marvel at our extraordinary Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is by celebrating the Lord's Supper. So let's boast and marvel in our extraordinary Savior. What a Savior. Again, think back on the night before he died when he transformed the Passover meal into the Lord's Supper. What an extraordinary thing to do. What an extraordinary Jesus. So that night, he, he broke some bread, and he, and, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he passed the bread around. And then after supper, he took a cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So if Jesus has saved you from your sins, please celebrate this joyful time with us. And after I pray, then take a moment to reflect about your wonderful, extraordinary Jesus. And then feel free then to come forward and grab the elements and, and return to your seats and partake. Afterwards, as there's some time, ref please reflect on what you heard through these passages and how you might respond to what Jesus is calling you to do. Let's pray. Our Father, enable us to comprehend, marvel at, and enjoy your extraordinary, surprising Son, who is our Lord Jesus Christ, who forgives sin and calls the most unlikely people to serve him. We pray, transform us to be more like him and less like the Pharisees in our attitudes towards others. And change us so we write no one off as being too far gone for Jesus to bring them back and use them. Enable us to accept others like Jesus accepts us. And develop in us a childlike faith that does not put you or our Lord Jesus in the boxes that limits our faith and dishonor you by making you too small. Father, thank you again for our marvelous, extraordinary Savior. We pray that we honor him in partaking of this simple meal together. In Jesus' name, amen.